everybody. How's it going? Uh, welcome to a new episode of DFV. Uh, the boys kind of took a week off for a while. You know, I had to deal with some, um, you know, personal um, uh, funeral arrangements in my family. But uh, we're back. And uh, on this one, we got a pretty good one here. Uh, well, let me introduce who's at the table here. Um, I'm your co-host, uh, Black Cinephile. And I'm your co-host, Brad. There's your co-host, Brad, over there. And... Um, yeah, so we got a good one here. We got one. Uh, I can, I think we're gonna call this like the roller coaster showdown because uh, mm-hmm. we got two films here surrounding characters that are thrown into the roller coaster of their lives and um, don't really know a way out, and it's uh, it's just pure chaos. Yeah, it, it basically they're trapped thrillers. Which today we're gonna be talking about the game starring Mark Michael Douglas back in 1997, and then Headhunters from 2011, which is a Norwegian film. And yeah, yeah, just to jump right into something, these two movies are very spoiler heavy, and we are going to be going very spoiler heavy into these two movies. Oh man, that's the show. But these are two movies I highly recommend people check out before listening to us talk about them because we are going to ruin a lot of what makes these movies very powerful in our discussion. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but, uh, yeah, with that said, you want to just jump right into it? Oh yeah, we can jump right into it. And, um, I'll I'll let you, um, well, how about this? How how do you think we should uh, do this here? Um, even, Mm-hmm. So I have a feeling that you're going to recommend that we go chronological because that's something that we just don't do very often. And for this, I think it kind of does make mm. sense. You know, you kind of got me wrong. I was actually going to suggest the opposite. But if you're going to throw it out there, you know, let's just do chronological. OK, let's go with chronological, which that would put us first talking about the game. Uh Starring Michael Douglas as the titular character Nicholas Van Orten, he gets a invitation to a new game experience from his brother Conrad for um, a company called Consumer Recreation Services. Now, in order to start this new experience that he can have, he has to go through a bunch of tests and everything that basically take up his day, annoy him only for him to find out that he has failed the tests and they will not be giving him the experience of a lifetime. Following this, he seems to be taunted by the people that then run this company in what appears to be the game, but he's not entirely sure what's going on in a bunch of twists and turns that bring him basically to death multiple times almost, have multiple people stalking him, following him, and people in his life basically turning on him and him not knowing exactly what's going on, who's behind this, who isn't one of them, who is one of them, and everything just culminating in, you know, Nicholas going completely crazy as a result of having his entire life interrupted by this game that he still doesn't understand what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, dude, what I love about this film, when I first saw this film, I was really young. I think I saw it around the time, around the time where it was really big because we had it on VHS. And, um, the one thing I loved about this film, dude, is that it's just, 
it's such a roller coaster ride. Like you don't you don't know what's gonna happen. And this guy is thrown through the ringer. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna talk about it, but some people some people feel a type of way about the third act. I I well specifically about the climax, the the real huge twist. Um and I think even with the huge twist thrown in, I still think it's a it's a it's just a great, wonderful thrill ride. Oh yeah. Um I gotta say, this movie does have some uh kind of creepy moments to it. Like the whole scene with the clown. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, man, that, that scene kind of creeped me out. Oh, yeah. I was expecting a jump scare moment from that scene. The moment it yeah. started off, I was like, oh, okay. So the clown's going to, like, do a jack-in-the-box kind of thing where it's going to, like, the head's going to spring up at him or something. Especially when he was, like, prying the mouth open with the knife and everything. It's like something's going to jump out of the mouth as soon as he gets it open. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that the movie didn't go that route with anything everything was very grounded there was no like in your face jump scares or anything like that it was just very tense the entire time mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's it's a it's a very well made um film and uh i just want to say i love the way they set up like uh nicholas's character like you know i listen i, I love michael douglas but i like how nicholas is kind of like a, a scrooge you know oh, what yeah. I'm saying? Like, you know, and we, we understand why. He's a very cynical person. Um, he has complicated feelings about his father. Um, and you know, just like, you know, a strange relationship with his brother played by Sean Penn. And I like how um you, you it's like you're throwing a Scrooge into a game, but it's like a twisted it's like a twisted uh Christmas carol. Story. Oh yeah. Yeah, instead of him getting visited by three ghosts, his entire life is turned upside down and turned into an unrealistic plane right. of despair and torture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, dude, I love how David Fincher's like visual sense, like if you watch films like, you know, Seven, mm-hmm. uh, Panic Room, Fight Club, through the 90s to today, Fincher always has like a great visual sense. Mm-hmm. Like he he knows how to depict uh not just chaos but just like his own like uh reality of which his characters live in like fight club is an unpredictable thrill ride and it's shot that way you know the game is unpredictable but the game is sleek and unpredictable and it's shot in a sleek unpredictable way like i love how at one point you know uh nicholas comes home and like he sees all like the destruction around his house and you're hearing like the loud music i love the way fincher like shoots that sequence and you're just wondering like like him like what the hell is going on right yeah yeah it it definitely he has a very stylistic approach to the way that he Mm -hmm. films his movies and yeah the game does not stray from that which is a good thing because it's a very good stylistic approach especially for a thriller movie with the tense shots and the way that everything moves and the way that it cuts to different scenes it's Mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic how that's all done and yeah the, the acting on you know sean penn michael douglas you know deborah Kara, it it's yeah it's all absolutely fantastic in this movie because it, we are very this movie is one of those ones that every time you're like oh okay i i get where the twist is it just keeps going up. It's like a roller coaster that's like inside where you can't see everything. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I think I can see where this is going. And then you find out, oh, there's another room. Oh, okay. Oh, we're in another, another room. Oh, 
okay. Yeah. Why is this one red? Oh, okay. I guess we're going into another room now. Like, every time you start to think, oh, I'm getting a grasp on what's going on, everything changes almost immediately and kind of just right. goes, nah, you don't got it yet. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's, it's, it's the perfect puzzle box thriller, right? Like, um, I, you, you never you never see what's coming around the corner. It's like, that's why I feel so envious of people who are watching this for the first time. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, if you if you know nothing about this movie, you don't know what comes at the end. It's like watching Fight Club. Like, I can watch Fight Club multiple times, even knowing what's going to happen. I kind of feel different about Gone Girl because that's kind of like the whole point of the movie. And once you know the point, it's like, ah, well, I don't know if I can rewatch this again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Both Fincher films, by the way. But I just always feel jealous of people watching a film like this for the first time. It just, it just, um, you know, it throws you off, but it throws you off. And I don't know. I feel like the way you feel about the ending, and I don't want us to get there just yet, like, but I feel like it depends on whether you're kind of optimistic or pessimistic as to how you feel about it. But so um, I like Deborah Unker and um, I like Sean Penn because I feel like Sean Penn does a great job of playing people who are unhinged or maybe a little wayward or, you know, just, mm-hmm. um, you know, just just go ahead. Somebody that's not in control of their life. Correct. Yeah, and I love how he's he's such the opposite of Nicholas, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, when they meet for di- when they meet for like brunch, and um, you know, his his uh, his brother tells him about the uh the game or whatever. Like, uh, I just I just love how like they're just so opposites. Like, I love how Michael Douglas is so straight laced and everything, and uh, I like I like how the film establishes character. Oh yeah, yeah, because our introduction to his character is on. Nicholas's birthday, he calls him to arrange like a meeting with a Seymour Butts, which is just, mm-hmm. you know, a phone <laughs> kind of like uh, what is like crank call name that you would use. <laughs> and I, I absolutely yeah. love that. Like that's as soon as he hears, you know, yeah, and I'm pretty sure it's fake, but we had a Seymour Butts call to schedule a meeting with you. Well, schedule my meeting with Mr. Butts at a uh, or at this restaurant. Put it under my name, please. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's funny, man. I thought that was hilarious. But um, yeah, you got to love it. Like, I love so I love how this movie like really like messes with you. Like at some point, um, I don't know. I think he's in a diner. And at some point, uh, he realizes uh, I th- he was he's either at home or the diner or both. Uh, but I, I, he realizes the TV is talking to him, like uh, yes, like yeah. I just I love that man. I love how the film like loves to psych you out throughout the film. Um, and uh, so this wasn't your. Uh, I want to ask you something. So this wasn't your first time seeing this, right? No, not this time. So the first time I saw this movie was probably back in. <sighs> It was somewhat recent. I want to say it was like 2015, 2016, because somebody recommended that I watch it. And they were like, it's one of those movies that everybody wishes they could watch it again for the first time. And I was like, I've still never seen it. He was like, you are one of the lucky people that can get to watch this for the first time today. And so that's how I ended up watching it. And yeah, it. Even on a second rewatch, knowing how things go and everything, seeing the amount of detail they put into like trying to throw you off the entire time is like, okay, this is it's not better the second time, but 
you catch different things the second time mm-hmm. for sure. Cause we have the scenes like him going to the hotel room and finding like the drugs and the photos all over the place. And his first instinct is that he's being, what is it? He's being blackmailed by the person that he just fired. And he then confronts them and knowing that it's obviously not him at this point because it's second rewatch Mm. as he's like going into him, you just feel like the vitriol of his words against this person that has no idea what's going on. Right. And then the lawyer afterwards, it's like, is this something I need to be worried about? Nah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. Right. Right. I love it. Yeah. I, it's, it's a good thing watching things a second time and, and catching things, um, that, you know, cause I feel like with certain films, right? Because I feel like it's two different types of films here. I, I, okay, ironically, both Fincher films, right? There's a Fight Club film mm-hmm. where you can watch it multiple times, knowing the ending, and still just enjoy it every single rewatch. Like you're like, okay, the film was giving us a clue here. Oh, okay. Then you got the Gone Girl types of films where the movie itself is the experience, and once you got the experience, I'm not gonna say the movie loses its value on second watches, but it's like you kind of. You kind of know it. You you, yeah. you 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 know what's going on. Whereas like Fight Club, I'm not gonna say Gone Girl isn't a layered story. It is, but Fight Club has so many layers to it. It doesn't matter about the final twist. The whole film is amazing. You know uh, what I'm it, saying? It comes more down to: is the movie there for entertainment or is it there for story? Because once you know the you story, go. it's there's not much left to enjoy from the movie on another rewatch. If it's there for the Mm -hmm. entertainment, then you can watch it over and over again and every time find it exciting because it's it's a ride. It's like Jurassic Park. You're not there because you're like, oh, I wonder if they're going to go into the backstory of how the dinosaurs came. No, you're there because you want to see dinosaurs chasing people. And regardless of how many times you watch it, you're going to be like, no, no, let's watch Jurassic Park again. It's an entertaining movie. Regardless of the ending twist of The Sixth Sense, The Sixth Sense is still a good psychological horror film yes. where you can draw many things out. You know what I mean? That That's what I mean to say. Yep. Um, absolutely what you said. Entertainment of story. So I got to ask you. So. um Given we kind of like like gave a uh, gave like a little bit of a hat tip to like the Christmas Carol, um, you know, influences here. What do you feel about the ending? So for me, I actually like the ending, Uh, especially Mm -hmm. even like going up to the end. The movie has like no holds barred if going like, oh, you still think you know what's going on? And because the rooftop scene with, you know, the Christine and her like on the walkie talk no he has an actual gun call it off no your brother's back there he has everything you know it's all a part of the game it's this is the plan you are you're not supposed to have a gun and then of course he shoots his brother and then he jumps off the building and everything like that and then it's the twist that oh that was still a part of the plan (laughs) was that he would shoot his brother who would then fake die and then he'd jump off the building and go straight into where his birthday party was 
And mm-hmm. I even love the joke at the end when his brother is signing like the contract and everything. He's like, do you want me to go like half and half? And he's like, yes, please. And he just looks at the bill and he just, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I love the ending. And I don't know. Did you have a different feeling on it? So at, I remember as a kid, because um, as a kid, when I first watched it, I always knew the ending. Um, like, like not as a kid, I'm talking about since I watched it as a kid, I knew how it was going to end. Right. Uh, like watching it since then. So it's like, it, and it doesn't like, um, the greatest experience to me as I've watched it throughout the years, but, uh, thinking about it as an adult now, um, I think it's a great ending. It, it may be a little too happy for everything that happens up to that point. Like everything is like kind of dark and, and, you know, uh, thrilling that you go, Oh, Oh, that's sweet. But, you know, it, it, I don't think it's a huge tone shift, but um, I, I like the ending. It, it makes me smile. Um, and, I, and I like how, uh, you know, I, I like how full circle it is because him jumping off the building reminds is kind of like contrasted with how his father died. Right. Yeah. His father committed suicide. And I like how that brings him full circle, because in, in somewhere in him, he has an inherent fear to not be like his dad. Right. So. When that brings him full circle and his brother hugs him and goes like, you know, this this is the end of the game here. Um, one way David Fincher like uh, like summarized how this film was supposed to be was like, I wanted to make a film that showed you your greatest fear, held it up to your face, then took it away and said, OK, you're fine now. You, 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 you're still alive. You're fine now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the ending does a great job of that with this main character. It, it gives him his greatest fear, sho- shoves it up to his face and then tells him you're fine now. You can live now. You, right. You know what I mean? Um, so I think it's a I think it's a great ending. Um, some people think it's a little too happy, but I, I feel like it's a good way to end the movie. But with the with the with the film that has his foot on the gas the whole the whole way, you kind of like got to think of different ways on how you can end this. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it, honestly, I think I would have been disappointed if the turnout was that it wasn't the game all along or if the turnout was that, you know, he had actually killed his brother and everything like that, because that puts a real damper on the end of this movie. And I, for this movie being just such a kind of, I I don't want to say like rush of danger, every twist and turn, but that is essentially what it is. It's basically danger all over the place. And if it ended with him, accidentally killing his brother thinking that all that danger was real when it wasn't that changes things for that ending you know especially with him mm-hmm. jumping off if there wasn't something there to catch him and everything like that i i would have ended this movie going that was a downer of a movie i don't know if i would have liked it as much absolutely i wouldn't have liked that either yeah i uh, i totally agree and uh, I love how in the end, uh, I always love this 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 final shot where he he asked a woman that was in the game like, "Hey, can we go for a date?" And she says, "Well, I got another game coming up, but you know we can we can we can go for some coffee." And yeah. I like how he just looks for a minute to make sure he's still not being punked. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love that ending. Oh yeah, yeah, and then you know. Of course, he also ends up leaving his birthday party to go have drinks with her and stuff. And it's like, okay, well, that's that's kind of a dick move after <laughs> all that. Uh, but at the I, same time, it's a happy ending. 
Yeah, I feel like it's very telling of his character, right? Like he says, like, okay, I, I hung out with you people for a little bit, but I'm still uh I still don't like people. So right. I'm just gonna like it, it it was the happy ending that was meant for him. Like, okay, right. let me just extend my hand and try to explore something with this young lady that that I spent a, a wild couple of days with. Right. Even though they were all under false pretense. Right, exactly. Exactly. But uh yeah, man, I think it's a very well done movie. Um, you know, I I feel like it's a very well made thriller. I would honestly give this uh I'd say it's I'm I'm lingering on a four point I give it a four point five. Oh, I give this one a five out of five. I think it does a fantastic mm. job of continually subverting your expectations while staying within the rules that the movie is creating. So whenever he's seeing kind of how they're doing different things, like the TV changing on him to talk to him, you know, it's realistic because he brought the camera into his house. It's not like they broke into his house and everything like that. You know, the scenes where they have the photoshopped of everything for him and in his name. It's like, okay, yeah, they could easily set that up. There's nothing in this movie that is like, oh, they had to use magic in order to pull this off. There's a lot of strings there. Like, well, in order for it to go down like this. But I'm sure that there were also contingencies of like, okay, here's the paths that he can take. You know, Mm -hmm. and if he starts straying from a path, we got to make sure to steer him back onto it. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, it's just such a good thriller movie. It's, it's a five out of five to me. It's, it's hard to give it anything less than that. When you put in all the writing, the direction, the, you know, acting on behalf of like Michael Douglas, Sean Penn, Deborah Unger, it's all mm-hmm. fantastic. Everything in this movie wraps up perfectly to me, even on a second watch, knowing everything that's going to happen. It's still a great movie. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i agree with you um all right moving on and that brings us to us our next film uh headhunters um 2001 norwegian thriller film um directed by morton uh uh tildum uh tildum tildum i hope i'm saying that right uh and it's, i was gonna uh, say i'm not gonna correct you because i have no idea on this one either yeah, I know it's based off a novel by Joe Nespo, and I know he's a very uh, famous, uh, you know, thriller writer. So um, that was kind of a big deal when this film came out. So this film stars uh, Asko Henny, uh, uh, Nikolojai Costa Wildow, uh, basically Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones, and uh, Sinave Makoti Lund. So the film deals with a, um, a corporate recruiter, Roger Brown, um, who um, is a. Um, has a double life as an art thief. He meets a man, um, you know, played by a uh, coaster Waldau, um, who is a former executive for a GPS tech company, uh, H O T E or Holt. And, uh, he, um, while he, he, he thinks about kind of headhunting this guy for a, uh, for a role. He also realizes that this dude, um, has a very famous art piece. So he, uh, he starts to headhunt this guy to, uh, you know, retrieve his art piece, uh, while also, um, you know, um, well, I'll say this, you know, the film does a great has a great um, opening montage to show how Roger is an insecure person, mm-hmm. you know, and I feel like a lot of this film deals with like insecurity and masculinity and it and it um, approaches it in great ways. You know, Roger has a beautiful wife, you know, um, and uh, he cheats on his wife 
and he has a house that he can't afford the mortgage payments on all to impress his wife, not to cheat on his wife to impress her, but the mortgage payments that he he can't afford all of this to impress her because he feels like he needs to overcompensate for his short uh, height. Uh, he makes this very clear in the opening montage while also cheating on his wife and um, yeah, just feeding into his own personal uh, ego and insecurity. So that sets the stage for when he meets, um, you know, Klaus, uh, who is, uh, you know, a more attractive man. You know, I mean, of course, a more taller man. And, um, you know, um, at this point in the film may or may not have something for his wife. We we find out later. But, uh, you know, he's he's the perfect foil to him. So once he uh, hears his wife, he kind of overhears his wife saying like, yeah, he has like this um, this art piece. He told me his grandmother, you know, had it uh, from, uh, you know, the, the war. It could be worth a lot of money. He um, employs his friend uh, Ove to like, uh, you know, his his partner Ove to like set up a, um, an art theft. And uh, from there, the story twists and turns. And then uh, the headhunter is uh, had, becomes headhunted. And uh, that, in a nutshell, is basically the plot line of Headhunters. Dude, um, when I first saw this film, I was in college and I was taking a film class on. Um, it, it was a film class on noir films. So like film noir. Mm-hmm. So like detectives, thrillers, mysteries. And this was like uh, an example of like Norwegian noir. Of, uh, and when I first watched this film, I was expecting like, OK, it's a film class film. So I don't know if it's going to be like something I got to really focus on. Uh, but when I watched the dude, I was just all in from like beginning to end. Like mm-hmm. this is a thrill ride, man. This is a very well written thriller. Oh yeah. Well, first off, we have the thrilling part of Roger being a thief of like high class art and everything. That alone is a great kind of concept of something to work off of, where he's stealing art and everything like that. But what we come mm-hmm. to find is that Klaus is now going after Roger, not because of the art thief stuff, but because of this job position that he's after and everything like that, where Mm -hmm. he's trying to get this job. Roger, of course, is somebody that's standing in the way of that job, and so he's going to go and kill him. And I love how Roger the entire time is like, I can't believe he's killing me over a job while he's like trying to find a way to get this painting sold that he has stolen from him that class has still no idea that he's stolen this painting from him to my knowledge. I don't think he ever found yeah. out that the painting was even stolen from him. Did he? Um, wow. I, I don't know if he, I don't know if he found that out either. Right. I, I feel like the film probably told us that he had an inkling, but, um, he probably, well, he probably did. Cause that's probably how he got, like decide to headhunter. I, I don't know. I, he, I probably didn't find out. Well, no, because he That's got the question. painting specifically because he knew that would be a way to access him because originally his plan was through Lottie to the paintings a fake, right? The painting was always a fake, but he got the painting because he knew that his wife was an artist and could evaluate the painting. So that's how he was going right. to be introduced to Roger was through his wife by getting her to evaluate this painting. And yeah, because the first plan was through Lottie getting him to meet Klaus. But of course, we're, during, getting, ahead, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Right. But yeah, I got you. I got you. 
Uh, but what I'm saying is, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the Rubens was always, um, it was always okay, a counterfeit. It was always, yeah, it it was always a fake, right? Yeah, he, he switched uh, so the yeah, counterfeit then, with another counterfeit. <laughs> oh well, it doesn't matter if he knew then because it was part of the plan. Well, it doesn't right. matter if he knew that he always switched it out. I know? don't think he ever found out that it was. A, or no, he found fake. out from Lottie that it was a counterfeit. Yeah, yeah, Lottie told him it was a fake. But we're we're, yeah. we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, but yeah, um, what, what was your point before we before we got to that? Uh, you were you were it, talking on something. It, basically, it. I'm trying to remember where I was trying to go with that at the same time. But yeah, when it comes to this movie, it's playing on so many things that it does have that good thrilling aspect to it where mm-hmm. we're playing on everything that Roger knows, everything he doesn't know. And we're finding out this information at the same time, because mm-hmm. as Roger is kind of thinking that class is trying to kill him for the job, he is kind of always in the back of his head going, does he know about the painting? And eventually finds out, okay. Oh, it definitely is not about the painting because the painting was never real to begin with. And right. it was all for the job, but for a different reason. And finding out that, like, the entire time he's being chased and even how he's being tracked and everything, it's it's so good how this movie slowly introduces that information. Because at the beginning, I always thought that he was being tracked through the painting because he was carrying the painting mm-hmm. with him. And I was like, oh, he bugged the painting and he was going after him for the painting and everything like that. But then he still went after him after he left the painting behind. And so it's like, okay, so how did he bug him? And we get introduced like to the hair from his wife, like rubbing his hair before he left and everything. And it's like, oh, okay. So that's how, and then we discover that's still not it. And I mm-hmm. love how the, this movie continually plays with its cards close to its chest in going, once again, same thing that the game did, where you think you know where it's going, but you really mm-hmm. don't. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I, um, I I love this film and the way it's set up. And I love how certain things are. I love how it sets its chess pieces up uh, to be, um, you know, um, dissected later in the film or to pay off later in the film. Like, I love how when he's talking to Ove and um, the... Uh, the 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 lady of the night that he loves uh i forgot her name was it was it rebecca or uh are are you talking uh, about the russian prostitute (laughs) yeah i I was saying in a nice way lady of the night right yeah um the 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 russian prostitute i love how he talks about like uh oh dude i I wanted her in 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 town this day because we were shooting a movie (laughs) roger just looks at him like shooting a movie he says, yeah, the security cameras, you know, I leave it on when she comes on, you know, and uh, she she puts on a little show for me and, and, the, and the fellas watch it. And then uh, I like how he says, like how Roger asks him, he says, wait, so you 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 let the fellas watch you have sex with her? Oh, that's, I'm still a gentleman. Yeah. Like, I'm like, <laughs> what? And like, uh, I like how he tells him the story in, in the in the film kind of shows us a little bit of what he's talking about. He kind of just sits there, crossing his arms, looking proud. And then Roger just says, listen, this is an important job. Yeah. <laughs> I need you to, like, <laughs> he just, like, skirts over what he said. But I love how that that plays off later in the film. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. With the, the fact that the cameras aren't facing the bed. They're only facing the doorways and everything like that. So, you know, right. when he get down to business, it, it's for him. 
But right. yeah, I also love the scene prior to that with him on the phone and it's him and her just running around the house naked, shooting each other with real guns. Right. And it's like, this is insane how this guy lives. And I love his line of like, in every room, there's a gun just within reach. No matter where he is, there's always a gun within reach, which plays a huge part in the movie in the scenes in his house. It does. It does. Because I think they're shooting at each other with blanks, right? Uh, no, they weren't using blanks because, like, the drywall is, like, exploding around them while they're shooting at each other. Oh, I didn't catch that part. So yeah, they you're... were shooting at each other with live rounds as just a form of foreplay. <laughs> That's wild, man. This, this, like, I love that. Like, the movie takes time to be funny, too. Oh, yeah. You know, because the way it starts off, like, I'm be like, this, this might be like a little, um, this might just be like a little pain point of mine, but the way it started off, th- didn't it feel like a made for TV film for you? Like the way it was showing him kind of like still in the art photos and then the title of the film just pops up. I said, oh, that's kind of like a, it's kind of like a made for TV way to kind of introduce the film. Did, did you catch that or were you just like, eh? Uh, I caught it, but it didn't bother me at all. At the same time, I was okay. like, okay, it's, it's an international film. It could be just a very stylistic approach to what they do over there for mm. their movies and everything. So it didn't really bother me. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think it took away from the artistic value. It's just, it kind of just, it, it threw me off. But um, yeah, the rest of the film, uh, like I was saying, yeah, I love how it takes its time to be funny. And uh, the way it goes down, I, I like how this film unfurls because... Um, you know, like in, in the theme of it is very good, too, because the wife, she wants a baby. But, you know, Roger doesn't want to give her a baby because, you know, he's insecure. Right. You know, he, mm-hmm. he wants to overcompensate everything except for the one thing that really matters, which is a family. And, um, you know, as the as the film unfurls, I like how Roger like slowly becomes opposite of who he is as it goes on. Like he comes to the point where he literally has to shave his head bald and he, he looks totally different. Uh, by the end of the film than he looked in the beginning of the film right like this like this this thing like really like like gets him to get to who he is in the core as a man you know i i I love that too oh yeah yeah it especially because it, it makes sense why he has to change and all his like kind of behavioral differences that he has throughout the movie, they all make mm-hmm. sense as character growth moments and then him shaving right. his head because he realizes the trackers were in a gel in his hair that are basically, you know, yeah, I absolutely love that reveal of like, that's how they, he was tracking him the entire time, including the part where he like shaved his head and he put in like a peanuts bag at the crime scene. And then he later Mm. breaks into the crime lab to steal that same bag of peanuts that contains his hair, knowing that, you know, it Kloss is still tracking it. And we'll track it to wherever he's going. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wanted to say this. Uh, <laughs> this guy goes to hell and back, bro. Like, I, like, I'll get to it. But when he shows up at the uh, kind of like the farm to like rent a room, mm-hmm. the guy's like, uh, yeah, you know, if you want to park down there, it's going to cost some money. It's OK. I mean, you could just park on the street. He says, no, 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 it's OK. He yeah. gives him the money. And then uh, Klaus shows up. He goes, uh, "Hey, listen, uh, I'm sure he, I'm sure he didn't invite you up there for some coffee and tea, 
Uh, but uh, you know, for the right price, you know, I'll I'll let you know where he is. Right. Yeah. Like, and then he ends up dead. I love when characters like that who have like an ulterior motive, a selfish motive, just end up getting got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Jesus, you know, for some compensation, I'll, I'll let you know where his house is. Yeah, I'll look the other way. I'm sure he's not expecting a visitor, but. Right. This dude. Now, this is the scene. I almost forgot about this because when I was watching this for the episode, when he ends up in the, uh, like, literally burying himself in shit, mm-hmm. I was sitting watching like, oh, like, oh, my goodness. I can't imagine going through that trying to yeah. get away from this guy. Like, and you see, I love how the camera zooms in on just, like, the paper thing that he's using as kind of like a breathing tube. Right, the toilet paper see, roll. <laughs> right. Okay, that's what that was. And then you literally see, like, like, like shit flowing down on the mm-hmm. side. Like, they, they made it look real, like, really realistic. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I yeah. said, dude, it couldn't be me. I would have just had to fight my way out. I couldn't have been me. <laughs> yeah, that scene was one where it's hard to watch because... It's also tense because there's just literally a toilet paper roll just sticking straight up and everything. And I expected him to be like, find him that way. It's like, oh, he did all that and he's still going to get caught. And then he didn't get caught. It was like, well, on the bright side, he's still alive, I guess. But (laughs) at what cost? (laughs) Yeah, what should he cost? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And I love the um, I love the scene where he gets. uh. He gets found. Um, well, before then, right? Um, the dog. See oh, now yeah. again. This is where this film speaks to masculinity, right? Because like this dude literally has to fight a dog. Like the dog's biting him, and he's like punching the dog, and then he he shoves the dog in front of the tractor. And then um, I love how at the same time that tractor joke that came but beforehand, where the guy was like, "Well, if you want to use my tractor, you got to pay for it." Or no, Uh-oh. it was, don't you dare touch my tractor, or I'll charge you. <laughs> right, he ends up using the tractor anyway. And I just, I love how he's driving the tractor with the dead dog. Right, it's just it. hanging off of it. It's horrible. Right, right. I hate it. <laughs> right, and I, I got a question. Like, when the guy came and saw him by the side of the road, and then, you know, um, obviously took him to the hospital, I'm like, did he ask at one point, like, why is there a dog on the tractor? Like, <laughs> I mean, what happened? It, he obviously reported that part because when the police are talking to him in the car and everything, they're like, so what made you decide to kill him, then kill his dog and then decide to drive his tractor trailing his dog around? You know, what what kind of sick and twisted person are you? So obviously he just saw the guy covered in shit and then saw the dog stabbed onto the tractor. It was like, I'm not going to try and dissect this. I'm just going to get this guy to a hospital. (laughs) All right, I'm not gonna break this down in my mind. Right. Um, okay, so another scene I wanna I wanna note. Uh, I love when he's in the car and you got the two big officers like keeping him in the middle. Oh yeah. <laughs> like like you know like keeping him in the middle and he's like uh, he he sees Klaus coming with the he knows Klaus is in the big like like the truck sixteen wheeler yeah. yeah the big truck. He's like, listen to me, we need to get out of here. He's like, listen, sir, you just calm down. You know, we know we know which we know who you are, we know what yeah. you've done. Like he's trying to get out. <laughs> he's not but, able to budge at all. I, I love right. the comedy of that scene where it's you can barely see him. It's just his head kind of poking out between the two right. of them. 
And I also love the scene with them in the hospital where they hear something and they look in the room and then they play like the dumber and the dumb and dumber act of like, he's not in here. We got to keep running and look for him. And he just runs right past them. Then, Right, right. Idiots. Um, And I I love the scene where uh, when the when the car goes over and it tips over, I like when he goes up to the car and he. you know, he, he looks at him for a while to make sure he's still dead. And the, and the whole time he's like keeping his eye open, unblinking. Mm-hmm. That's such a great tense scene. Right. See, at this point, that was one of the scenes that kind of made me go. That's not how he would have acted at this point, because class would have probably done a confirmed kill because he had a gun. It's not like he had a limited number of bullets. He He would have tried to go for the confirmed kill at that point. And but then again, I, I hear what you're saying for the sake of story. But then again, who survives that? Right. But at the same time, when you're so dead set on killing this guy that you've killed a farmer, you've literally been tracking him. You slept with his wife in order to get to him. And then you can killed four additional police officers on top of him to kill him. You wouldn't go for that confirmed kill. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, okay, I, I get what you're saying. Um, by that point, the film was so crazy. I, I was just willing to go wherever it took me. I didn't, I didn't really think of it that way. But when you when you put it out like that, yeah, he kind of a confirmed kill probably would have been the best way to wrap that up. Right. See, what they could have did was him trying to shoot him through one of the you know one of the big boys, and the bullet doesn't go through one of the big boys, and that's that 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 could describe how he still stayed alive after he walked away. You know what I mean? Because he was right. still kind of smushed in between them. Right. Um, like there, but, well, there's also the the gun had blanks kind of thing toward the end. That could have been the explanation as to how it didn't kill him. But he would fire in, think it's good and then leave. Because after that point, he, I don't think he had that gun by then. Did he, he not he have that, that gun, gun later? Oh, yeah, he okay. grabbed that gun later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What gun? Oh, he had the gun from Ove's house at that point. Um. The gun from Ove's house did have blanks, didn't it? Oh, no, no, it no, didn't. No, it, it didn't. Right, that right. one was the one with live rounds. You're right. You're right. Yeah, he but he didn't have that gun back then, uh, the one with the blanks. Right. Um, I forgot that. He didn't get that one until later. But I love how the film comes full circle to the point where he, like, you know, shaves his whole head off and comes to his wife, you know, scarred up. And like this is like this is like who he is by this point. Like he's really broken down. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the the beautiful thing about this part of the film is that he realizes that his wife still loves him. Like he realizes that I don't care about this this lavish house. I don't care about you having your great haircuts and looking all stylish. I love you. And I feel like the film the the film takes a moment to pause the thriller and, and bring like great a great character moment at that point. Right. Yeah. It uh, it definitely gives him good development into kind of realizing who he is and everything like that and how he can improve. And the fact that even his wife admits, like, look, we don't need this house. I, I want you. I, I want to be with you. It's, you know, these things are nice, but they're not what I depend on you for. And Mm -hmm. him being able to kind of come to terms with, you know, he doesn't have to live this secondary life. I also love that she yells at him for, like, stealing art. And she's like, really? Art thief? Really? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. 
It, it, yeah, right. Because I, she's an artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. When it comes down to the final twist, um, I think it was very well done. Mm-hmm. I think the final twist is well done. Uh, what's what's your thoughts on it? I I also liked it. It was a very good way to wrap everything up because you have it wrapping up Ove's death and explaining that you have it kind of pinning it all on Klaus to that it was his doing and everything like that. Even the camera angle thing from the prelude from earlier, we see that play out and yeah, I absolutely loved it. Even him like remarking of how the detective would know that Ove had died days earlier, but he would not say anything because his reputation of solving this case was more important than mm-hmm. the fact that this one detail did not line up with the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. It, it, which was another whole thing in the movie of like reputation. You know, why would I do this? Well, because of reputation, why would this happen? Because of reputation and the fact that even at the end of the movie, it comes back. Why would he do this? Well, it's because of one word reputation. Yeah, that is surprising, though, because this is the one character you expect to kind of like stay on the straight and narrow. Mm -hmm. But again, it really digs into the film's point. Like, no, reputation is everything. Mm -hmm. Even though this guy is a good cop, he's not going to ruin his reputation over one small, you know, uh, detail. One small detail that doesn't just line up. But at the same time, they have proof of everything else. And it's like, you know what? I'm not going to ruin my career by going, no, no, this definitely isn't solved yet. When all things point to it being solved, just something's slightly askew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that, that was very subvert subversive. Cause you always got the one detective that goes, nah, wait a minute. This guy wasn't here at 1115. He was here at 1125. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I thought, I, I thought that was a nice subversive move, but I like how he says to him, um, uh, he, he says to him, hey, man, when they have their confrontation, he says, look, I can shoot you in the stomach and it'll be a slow death. I like how right after that, he ends up getting the shot in the stomach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mind you, he shoots him again to, to really kill him. He says, listen, I, I don't know about that gun. That one doesn't have blinks. I'll give you a free shot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he shoots him again. Yeah, I'm not sure how many blinks that she uh, swapped out. So, you know, you're more than welcome to take another shot at if you want. <laughs> I thought that was a nice uh, twisting of the knife moment. Oh yeah, but uh, I want I want to I want to double back because I want to talk about uh, Lottie and how I found out that she was uh, working with the guy. Now I, the film makes it pretty clear that that Klaus already got to her in the beginning when she's like, "Hey, there's a guy I want you to meet," and then he dumps her. Right. You know, but I like how the film psychs us out and thinking like, "Oh man, he's been manipulating her this whole time," and then when Roger walks away, then we realize. Oh wait a minute! She's about to come try to kill him. Like mm. I love, like I love how the film was like, uh, no, no, she's 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 full on in on it, and she's like, there's like a full moment of her and like uh, Roger, like like you know wrestling and stuff because she's trying to kill him. Because mm-hmm. initially when he punches her, I was like, oh shoot, he punched her, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> like he says he says who's Klaus, like you know what's going on, and then um, just when you think, oh okay, she's been dragged along in this. You realize, nope, she's in on it. She tries to like fight him. Yeah, this she's definitely all in on whatever you know scandal they're trying to portray and everything. 
But yeah, right. I, their scuffle in the kind of kitchen with the knife and everything like that, when he like grabs the knife and is like holding it from the sharp end to try and get it away from him and everything like that, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, that 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 hurts to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I like how at the end, you know, it's it's a great like in, in comparison to the game. It's a, it's a happy ending, right? They're selling mm-hmm. the house. She's pregnant. They have a happy life. And he gives the job to the guy he robbed in the beginning. Like, yeah. you know, which I think was his plan all along to give it to him. Yeah. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, it all works out in the end. And he also regrows his hair. So he's not bald anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good thing. You know, like, uh, you know, God bless real game. Right. Right. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, overall, I got to give this about the same rating. I, I give this a 4.5. Uh, this one, I would agree. This is a 4.5. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I think it's very well made. It's very sleek. Uh, you know, it's sexy. It's uh, It's got some good uh, dark moments, some good funny moments. It's, mm-hmm. it's all around a very well-written thriller. Like when I first watched this film, it surprised me by how good it was. Not because it was an international film. I was just like, I never heard of this. I, I don't know. This was this was a gem when I discovered it. Yeah, I would say this movie. One of the biggest issues that I have with this movie is one that I have with a lot of films with subtitles is when you have two people talking at the same time, the subtitles are hard to tell which one is going to which person unless they're like saying a name as a part of it. And unless it's color coded, I've seen some movies color code, like the main character will have subtitles that look slightly different than Hmm. everybody else's. But there were a couple points in this movie that the subtitles were for two people talking at the same time. And it's basically them going back and forth with each other. And it's like, okay, I can't tell which of the people is saying which of these two lines. I don't know if you had that same problem or if you noticed that at all. I got to be honest with you. I've never had that issue. I've heard people say that before, but I've always been able to tell who's saying what. Like, you know, like I feel like, you know, like one line of dialogue. I've always had it where two lines of dialogue are on the screen at the same time. And I'm following right. the, riv- the rhythm of the filmmaking, like I, to figure out who's talking to who. Um, I never had that problem. Yeah, for me, I, it's always unless they do some kind of, you know, font or color or something else with it for the subtitles to differentiate mm-hmm. different people. I Whenever it happens and everything like that, it's, you know, terrible. It's one of those things where it makes me miss like the old like fan subs of like anime and stuff back in the day before like anime would get English dubs and official subtitle tracks where different fan mm. subgroup fun subtitle groups would do like crazy stuff with the subtitles. And it's like, I miss those days. Cause you know, that it's weird to think that fans put more care and effort into that than like a big blockbuster movie like this. I hear what you're saying. Um, it's never really been a, a big issue for me, but I, I, I totally get what you mean. Uh, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, I gotta say with this one, man. Uh, I know where you lean, but uh, I'm gonna have to agree with you, and I'm a uh, I'm gonna give a slight edge to the game. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah, I to me, yeah. it's a clear cut win of the game over Headhunters. It's it, the game just amps things up to extremes that 
Headhunters comes close to, but it can't match just how many times in during the first watch of the game. It's going, oh, I understand what's going on. No, I don't. Wait, now I get what's going No, I don't. Hey, I think I finally... No, I don't. Never mind. I'm going to stop guessing now. I'm just going to watch the movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it, both films uh, definitely keep you on your toes. And um, I, that's why I got a lot of respect for uh, both of them. And uh, they're written very well, made very well. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I, I, uh, I completely agree here. I think the game is the uh, clear winner here. Now, um, heading in the after show here. Uh, how you been, man? You been watching anything lately? So I have. I actually have started watching Ted Lasso on Apple TV Plus. Really? How is it? Uh, it is such a wholesome, feel-good show that I awesome. love it entirely. But it's one of those shows that, like, whenever anything slightly bad happens in the show like something like in a normal show is like oh yeah that's like an episode thing but here whatever happens it like devastates you because everybody is just so cheerful in this show otherwise that that slight little like pebble in the shoe and you're just like how could they do this to them how dare they so it's kind of so it's kind of like the west wing where everything is a perfect democracy right and then the one horrible thing happens you're just like oh why would you do that <laughs> okay okay Pretty much. i absolutely I heard, I, love it though <laughs> i heard it's a great show and i heard jason sudeikis is amazing in it oh he is he's absolutely fantastic it it is one of those roles that if it wasn't for the fact that i already have so many roles lined up to jason sudeikis it, this would mm. be the one where it's like Okay, no, this is the one that I'll probably think of when I hear his name with the mustache and everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's okay. just going to match it. <laughs> well, I've been um, currently watching, uh, you know, Brian Cranston in Your Honor, uh, you know, the Showtime series. Yep. I-, I was a little hesitant of watching it at first because, you know, like, dude, coming off Breaking Bad, you know what I'm saying? One of the greatest shows of all time. You kind of got to stop yourself. Okay, okay, this is a Showtime show. So statistics are it's not going to be as great. Mm-hmm. So we so I got I got to lower my expectations, which I did. But um, it turns out, well, Your Honor is a very well-written drama. Like it's a uh, it's a very well-written drama. It's not perfect, but it's it's engaging. Like I feel like when you're looking for great dramas, great television in general, I feel like the pecking order is FX, HBO, Showtime and AMC. I, AMC is a little over Showtime, but AMC, Showtime, and then Stars. That's kind of okay. how I look at it. We're like great scripted, like, you know, um, mature television. But uh, yeah, dude, for a Showtime show, it's very good. Uh, I'm in season two right now. Season one, the way it ended, it could have ended as a miniseries and been, you know, just perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, season two, I was a little wary when I started it, but it, it's it's continued the story very well. And apparently this is the last season. So, you know, um, I like it, man. I, I feel like it's pretty solid. And Brian Cranston is just great in it. I don't feel uh, he kind of carries the show at some points because the story is the story's good. But you can tell the story is like it's like regular, like like hard hitting drama. But right. uh, he, he he's very great in it. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the last show that I watched from Showtime. And I think it was actually kidding. The one that stars Jim Carrey. I heard that was good. 
Oh, it's a fantastic one. If you haven't watched it, I highly recommend it. Yeah, yeah. I heard Kidding was good. The last one I watched was probably Dexter New Blood. And I felt like that was a great conclusion to uh, the Dexter series. I still haven't watched that as the final, because that's two seasons, right? It's just one. Oh, is it just one season? Okay. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, I like it. It, it. it gives it justice with what we were stuck with, uh, you know, with the original <laughs> finale. With the original so we, season, what was it, eight or seven did that one end up? I don't know. We whatever just don't talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, what, whatever it was. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, 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 um, they have good shows. I, I, I give Showtime a chance because they do have good television, like, you know, Weeds and, you know, of course, the early seasons of Dexter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they, they're good. Uh, anything else you've been seeing? Uh, nothing else major. I know that we have a couple movies coming up now with uh, Blue Beetle, Gran Turismo's coming up, and mm. the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie just came out as well. I haven't caught it yet, but... I've heard good things. I heard people say it's good. It, it, it looks very much like it's more aimed toward the Nickelodeon, you know, current cartoon crowd than the mm. old-school Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fans, which I'm kind of surprised considering Seth Rogen was the writer or director on it i'm trying to remember uh i think he's a writer producer okay but yeah i kind of was surprised that it was more aimed toward that but you know seeing him in interviews talking about it is like okay it i I might check it out we'll we'll see how that Mm -hmm. all goes but it's been a long time since i've watched anything teenage i think the last thing i watched for teenage mutant ninja turtles was the last live action movie from michael bay so yeah, I never I never caught those. Um, yeah, I never caught those. But I but I but I I, I never really was a teenage ninja uh, mutant ninja turtle guy, man. Oh, that wasn't the original- your show growing up. Nah, I had the original live action movies on on VHS, but I never really got into them. I just my mind would go Ninja Turtles living in a sewer and they like pizza. Come on, man! I know I'm a kid, but I'm I'm not. <laughs> come on. I just, I just never, that never sold me. Fair enough. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I know that one. I've heard good things about it, but I'll see. I'll probably wait until that one's out of theaters before I catch that. Probably on a streaming service somewhere. Because taking Mm. an afternoon to go to the theater to go see that one, I have a feeling that I'd walk out going, that wasn't good. But I have a feeling watching it on stream, I'd be like, okay, that was, that was an okay watch. It'll 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 go, it'll go down easier for you watching it at home. Right, it's easier to watch it on my own time in my terms than to have to be like, well, it's playing at three fifty five next Thursday. I guess I can go make that showing. <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious. Yeah, I'll um, I'll probably check it out on streaming too. Gran Turismo. I love the jokes online where people saying, "I've seen this track." I've I played it before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every, everyone repeating that one line. Uh, that might be good though. Who knows? Yeah, we'll we'll see on that one. Obviously, it's a drama based on a gamer that became a race car driver. So it's so laughable to me, man. <laughs> it's it's already a strange premise, but at the same time, it's a premise rooted in an actual story that happened. So it's like, <laughs> I, it, yes, it's going to be Hollywooded up. 
But the funniest part of me to me is always going to be like, there's some truth rooted in here somewhere. <laughs> right. That's the strangest part. That there's truth rooted in there. Absolutely. Um, all right, folks. Uh, we appreciate your patience. Uh, this has been another episode of DFV. Uh, remember to, uh, you know, watch films, you know, uh, talk about films and, uh, you know, have a good one.